sure those of you, they wait till all of a sudden they're in high school. And then, you know, I'm sure those of you, there's some in the room who are thinking, yeah, wait till they're married and wait till they have kids of their own. Um, it's strange for me. So I have a three-year-old all the way up to a 23-year-old in my house. Um, as uh, most of you know me, I uh, have spent three years on the mission field. And um, I kind of walked in talking to some people. They're like, oh, you're the guy that's been in Haiti, right? Yeah, that's, that's uh, me. My wife and I have spent three years in Haiti at the orphanage that you guys are sending a team down to in a couple weeks. And super excited about that. Um, we, uh, so prior to spending three years on the mission field, my wife and I were pastoring at a church in uh, Fresno area across from Fresno State University called University Vineyard. And we were on staff there leading the uh, night service that reached out to college and young adults. So um, we are uh, just excited at this place in life we're at. We've been back for about eight months now. And um, along with that, when we, when we arrived back, we, uh, uh, Pastor John at the time had asked us if we would help out with the missions program here. And so we've been working behind the scenes, my wife and I, to help out with the missions work here and help build this team that you guys got going down and trying to add in a bit of a medical component to it. We're excited about that. Is the Haiti team, are you guys in here this morning? If you're going to Haiti in three weeks, how about raise your hand? I'm trying to see who's in here. All right. So, hey, I'm so happy for you guys that just raised your hand. I'm so proud that you are going to be um, leaving California, leaving Davis, leaving California, leaving the United States to step outside yourself. You guys are going to be blown away by what um, God does, because every time we step outside of ourselves, God does something. And I hope that's where the message that I'm going to take this morning is going to go. I want to talk about the given life, and um, we're going to be in the... Uh, Second part of, so there was the see, the walk, the stand. We're going to be in the walk aspect today. We're just going to touch on the see part just a little bit as we end up chapter three, but I want to focus on the walk part as we walk out who God's called us to be, as we step into the things he's called us to step into, as we, like the Haiti team is doing, as you let go of the things that are comfortable to you and you step into the things that might be hard or might be challenging. So I'm excited about you guys. I hope you guys grow tremendously on the mission field. Um, as I know I have been down there, going down to Haiti changed my life, literally. I went down on a week-long trip, and then I went down for a month, and then I went down for a year, and then that year turned into three years, and now we're here. So you never know what God's going to do as you step out. You have no idea. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, also, I just wanted to touch on, you know, I know you guys are going through a big transition with uh, Pastor John and Garrison's stepping into uh, new things and stepping away from, from here, from the church family. And I just, I don't want that to be taboo or any reason, but I've been through pastoral transitions in my life too, and I know it's hard. And I just want you guys to know as a church that, um, that, you have an incredible Father God who loves you, and he is truly the great shepherd in your life, and he's going to lead you. And there's going to be thousands of transitions in your life. Don't get stuck on them. Just say, God, what are you doing next in my life? How are you going to lead me into this next thing? And I, I, I believe that discovery season, the best season is yet to come. You know, God, God did an incredible work through John and Garrison here, and he's going to continue that work, and God will lead his church. So don't be afraid. Uh, let's pray, and then I want to get into this uh, message this morning. 
Lord, we just thank you for all you're doing, God. I do thank you for the time that, that uh, John and Garrison spent with this church and all the incredible love and service they poured out to raise this body, Lord. And uh, we pray that you would bless them as they move forward, as they move into the things you've called them to. And God, I take a moment to pray for the body in front of me, Lord, for the church here in Davis at Discovery. Lord, that you would bless them, that you would remind each of them that you are the great shepherd leading their lives, God, and that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them. And so, God, I pray that you would take this church and that you would take it to the next level, Lord, that you would take it to the next place that you have for each of them, God, that it would be a growing church, that it would be a sending church, that it would be a church that multiplies as they give themselves out. I just pray that you would... uh, Anoint my mouth to speak your word this morning, that um, your truth would be revealed, God, as from your holy word. God, as we look into it, as we look into how to give our lives, how to step out of ourselves, God. And so we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, like I said, we're going to look at the, um, the, you got the three things, right? And I'm jumping into this sermon series, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to catch up. I tried to listen to Rolly's sermon on the podcast, on the, on the thing, but it wouldn't come through. But um, I got, you know, part of his breakdown and talked with him a little bit about it. And so the first chapter, first three chapters of Ephesians, like you guys have been learning about, are all about like seeing the greatness of God, just like the incredible love God has for his church, that he's adopted us as sons and daughters, and we've been called children children of God, and we've been brought from darkness to light. And then things take a turn right around where we're at today, which is chapter four on, and we're going to look at that verse um, in a minute, but things take a turn, and it begins to be, now that you see the greatness of God and all that he's done for you, what are you, as, the, as a child of God, going to do about it? How are you going to live your life in accordance with what God has done for you? Um, and then the third part is the stand part, standing firm in who God's called us to be. And, and that's that, that longevity, that, that perseverance thing that keeps going. Uh, interestingly, um, in the, if you guys remember the book of Revelations at the end, there's these letters to the, se- to the seven churches. And one of the things the Spirit says to the church in Ephesus is this church that Paul's writing to, he says, you've forgotten your first love. And um, it's interesting that Paul takes three chapters to really hone in on the love of God because the, um, we have this tendency to get so wrapped up in doing that we forget that we are loved and we are grounded in that and we're not saved by anything we could ever do. But on the flip side, God does call us to do things and faith without works really is dead. And um, if we're just sitting there I really believe God's got a, a better plan and a different thought for you this morning. Um, so this morning I want to just touch on, on chapter 3, and then we're going to get to the action part, uh, which I love action. How many of you guys like action here? Like action movies? I just saw, uh, we're a little late behind the game, but I just saw <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge. Um, have you guys seen that movie? This is going to be a spoiler alert. If I, if I, raise your hand if you've seen Hacksaw Ridge. Oh boy, this would be a spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, those of you that haven't seen it, you really should see it. This movie's incredible. Um, anyway, it's, a, it's an incredible movie about a guy during World War II who, who objected to using firearms during the, during the war, but he wanted to step in and serve his country. And he goes up there, and the Hacksaw Ridge is, is this cliff, and it, it, they're, they're trying to take, it, take the 
the top of the cliff over from, uh, from the enemy up there. And so they go up this, this rope thing on the side, and they, they're trying to work their way forward. And uh, it's just a horrible battle, tons of people dying. Anyway, uh, this, this young man who almost gets kicked out of the army because he won't even hold a rifle because he believes God doesn't believe in killing. He wants to help people. He doesn't want to take life. He wants to give life. And so he wants to be a medic on the front lines. So he wants to be on the very front lines without a firearm. And his story is incredible. He, um, after a ton of men get killed on the top and they all retreated, he stays up on the cliff for the entire night and he is rescuing men who've been wounded out there and he's pulling them back and he's lowering them off a cliff on a rope. And this is a true story. It's World War II, true story. You should read the history, watch the movie. It's a great story of perseverance. It's a great story of life. But what he does on the edge of that cliff that whole night as he's rescuing people, he rescued 75 men who were just stuck up on this cliff. And everybody else had retreated because it was so dangerous. And he was hiding behind boulders. He rescued 75 men, and he just kept saying, Lord, help me get one more. And then he'd get one more, and he'd lower them down. And he'd go back to his little rock that he was hiding behind, and he'd say, Lord, help me get one more. And um, it's a great action movie. Um, it's a bit bloody, I'll be honest, but um, I, I love action movies and I love action stories because we're called to be people of action and that's where we're going today and we're called to step into things. We're not called to just rest in God's love, although that is the foundation and that's the root and that gives us our identity and, our, and our, um, who we are as a people, but we're called to take that life we've been given and we're called to give it out. If we just take it and don't give it, God's looking at us like we're the one who got the talent and didn't do anything with it. Like He's like, I've given you so much. And so that's where I'm going to go today, um, is I'm going to look at this incredible gift we've been given, and I'm going to look at how we give it out. But before I get to that, let me just give this as an intro, because this is the end of chapter 3. And if you're on the slides, I didn't put this as a verse, so don't, don't worry about it. But um, the end of chapter 3 says this, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height, what is the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is an incredible verse, and um, I just want to touch on that briefly before I move on to this, this gift-giving and moving into who we're called to be, is because that truly is the foundation, and... Um, I, uh, whenever, whenever I think of God's love, I always think of the, um, the far reaches of the galaxies out there, and I think of the fact that no one has ever found the end. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> no one has ever said, hey, we discovered the end of the, of the universe. You know, it's 97 million light years away. No one's ever said that. Like, we keep finding things farther and farther. I read last week on CNN that there was a new... Uh, group of planets found with a, a huge sun star in the middle and, and so many planets outside of it, and there was three that were in the possible life range that they found some light years away. But they found this out there in the middle of nowhere. And have you ever thought about the end? Like, do you think there's an end to the universe? Do you think it, we're ever going to be like the Truman Show where you just kind of hit the end? <laughs> you guys like that movie? Okay. Whew. All right. Truman Show, at least. Don't you love that part? He's out there. He thinks the world just goes on, and it's the ocean, and then, boom, all of a sudden, Truman hits the end of his world. You will never 
find, no scientist will ever find the end of the universe. I don't believe. I don't believe we will ever find it because I believe that's God's way of showing us his love. It will never end. It will never end. We will never find it. As, lo- as much as you search through the scriptures and you, and you seek God and you find his love and you live in it and you dwell in it, you're never going to hit the depths of it where you can say, all right, I found God's love. I'm good. You're never going to get to that point. There's always another step of God's love that he will take you deeper into. And um, so, so keep pursuing him. Isaiah 54.10 says, Though the mountains vanish, my unending love will never leave you. And so I didn't, I didn't want to be remiss and leave chapter 3 entirely without talking just a little bit about God's love. But I want to get on into, um, into the next part here of chapter 4. Uh, because I know the first three chapters of Ephesians have been talked on over the last few weeks, but um, if you're at a place where, where you are um, wondering about God's love, just continue to seek Him, continue to get to know those who can mentor you and father you in that place of who you truly are, because if that's the missing link in you, that will never be filled by anything on this earth, only the love of your Father will fill it. Um, so, as we shift into chapter 4, you could throw up that next verse, I therefore. Um, everything takes a shift as we approach chapter 4. Now we're asked not to just see that love and to behold it, but we're asked to respond to it. We're asked to do something about it. And uh, this verse says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, don't forget, Paul's writing this from where? He's sitting in a prison cell. I can think of no greater example of somebody I want to listen to than somebody who's sitting in a prison, not because they did something wrong, not because they killed someone or because they stole something. He's in a prison because... He was alive with the power of God and he was changing cities. And Ephesus was one of those cities he was changing because it was a city filled with magic. And uh, they were really into these things. And he was calling them to another thing. He was calling them out of darkness into light. And whenever you make waves, people are going to be against you. And uh, he had people against him. And so he was sitting in a Roman prison. And uh, in other words, what he's saying in this verse is... Let's read that again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. This is who Paul is. I'm a prisoner. Look at me. Look at how I am living my life. I'm not just a prisoner for things done wrong. I'm a, or not just, but I'm not a prisoner for things done wrong. I'm a prisoner for what I am doing for the sake of the kingdom of God. And he says, now I urge you, church in Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of this calling to which you've been called. In other words, you guys are Christians. You guys are believers. You guys are the light of the world. You're children of God. Now do what? Live like it. Like walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Like are you worthy to to do this? Yes, you are. But each of us in this room, maybe you are, maybe you're not. I don't know. I, I don't ever want to assume something. But my hope is that you've given up the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of light. You've moved over from serving the things of this world to serving the things of God and to doing the things of God and to trusting in Him. And if, if not, then I could think of no better thing for you to do on this day 
than to bow your head at some point while I'm sharing this morning and say, God, I do give up my life. I want to serve you. I, want to, I don't want to be in the kingdom of darkness anymore. I want to be in the kingdom of light. I want to follow you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a child of God. And that's what Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus. He's saying, look at you guys. You are children of God. You are Christians. You are the believers. You are the light of the world. Live like it. So obviously there was some struggle there. There were some things going on that weren't, that weren't uh, happening like Paul was hoping they would. Um, maybe some of us in this room like to be in the in crowd. You know, when it's, when it's good to be a Christian, when, when uh, politically it's working out that you're a Christian and people see you as, as a good person. But then sometimes when the tables shift and it's not so comfortable being a believer anymore or saying that, you know what, I do believe every word in this book. And people look at you funny and people say you're a hypocrite and people say, how could you not love people like this? And you're going, no, like I love people more than you will ever know. Like I love God and I'm going to serve him and this is the truth. And Paul is saying, he's taking this moment, he's taking a pause this is the pivotal, uh, I know you guys talked about this, uh, Rolly was telling me at the beginning, but this is the pivotal, the pivotal, not pivotal, pivotal. okay, we're going to forget that word. This is the main verse that separates the book um, from, from being seen who God is to transitioning into doing something for God's kingdom and to living like it. And, um, and I love this because Paul is, he's the prisoner. He's doing it. He's living it. He's saying, look at me. And he's saying, this is what I want you to do. Live like, the, live like a child of God. Live like a believer. Live like someone who is truly the light, the light of the world. Give up your life. Give up your life like I am giving up my life. I'm sitting here in chains in a Roman cell. Give up your life like me. He's, he's, he's giving them the example of himself who's done it. And, um, and that's the heart of the message I want to get to today, is that you and I have been called to live the given life. I believe that you and I have been given life so that we can give out life to others. And uh, this, is a, this is a slide, um, but it says, Paul's message is that you would know and understand the incredible love God has for you, and then that you would take the beautiful life you've been given and sacrificially give it out to others. This is the given life. And I want to take some time this morning to talk about that. Um, and I want to break it down in these two ways. Number one, all of life is a gift. And then number two, we're called to give that life out once we've received it. We, give, we receive it and we give it. That's the message. So how do we get to this place of living the given life like Paul is asking us to. Um, we're going to look at a verse here, Ephesians 4, 7, and 8. Um, but in your notes it says, everything I am and everything I have is a gift from God. Everything I am and everything I have is a gift from God. Let's look at the text here, Ephesians 4, 7, and 8. And I want to I point this out, this particular verse, because in this verse we see um, incredibly the word give or gift three times, and it, Paul is making a very clear point that we've been given something. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, many of us can recall a special moment in our lives when we received something. Maybe it was a Christmas gift. Maybe it was a birthday gift. Maybe when you went off to college, your parents bought you a car. I wish I had that same story. (laughs) Um, I had my 1978 K5 Blazer that I bought when I was 16 for $1,300, and it was rusting and still chugging along, but uh, it only lost three wheels during college, and they came off while I was driving. It's a whole other sermon and a whole other story, but <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm still a little bitter. I didn't get the college car, so um, it did come a few years later, though, and my parents realized that old blazer was just not happening anymore, and they helped me get into a Ford Ranger, so I went from Chevy to Ford, but don't worry, I'm back again with Chevy, so <clears throat> sorry for you Ford lovers in the room. Um, so... <laughs> Anyway, many of you can remember a special gift, something really that stood out. Think about back to your childhood, back to growing up. Maybe it was recent. I don't know, but a special gift, something that really stood out to you. And uh, we had a Christmas like that this past year. Um, And I want to tell you the story about my son, Asher. He is nine years old, and um, he was eight this past Christmas. He just turned nine in February. And so... As you know, we've been on the mission field for three years, and in Haiti, it's uh, very difficult to get any kind of maybe good electrical device out in the field unless someone like Discovery Church brings it down for you, which you guys are always amazing at, bringing gifts down for the missionaries down there. Um, But my son had, my son Asher, he had a little wallet, and you know, he probably had like six or seven dollars in this wallet, and every now and then he'd get eight or nine and he had this cutout picture on the front of his wallet from a little newspaper ad. I, I, don't, I don't remember where it was from, like Big Five maybe. And it had a little remote-controlled flying device on the front of it. I think it was a little remote-controlled helicopter. But um, he had been dreaming of like some kind of helicopter, some kind of drone, something that he could control and watch go up in the sky for like... So ever since we've been on the mission field, he just kept talking about it. But it just it wouldn't have worked well. At the, at the campus down there in Haiti, and um, it would have been difficult, like I said, to get down there. Anyway, this past Christmas, we're back in California. My wife and I looked at each other, and we said, we need to get him um, some kind of flying device that he can control. Some, so we, we were looking around for drones, and I know those are all around right now, and we found him a little eight-inch drone about this big, and um, we, I found it at a... Uh, TJ Maxx, I think, and we wrapped it up, and we got it all ready for him for Christmas, and the other kids with their gifts, and they're opening things, and opening stockings, and opening presents, and then um, we said, here you go, Asher, why don't you open this one next, and my wife and I were not expecting this reaction at all, but he, he sits down on the ground, and he's opening it, unwrapping it, and he sees that it's a drone, and he stopped, like mid-wrap, It was like just halfway opened. He stopped, and he stands up, and he walks over to me. I'm sitting on the couch, and he just gives me the longest hug I can remember Asher giving me. (laughs) And And then after me, he walks over to my wife sitting in the chair over there, and he gives her a big, long hug, and then he starts crying. 
This is how excited he was to finally have this dream come true of a, a little flying thing that he can control. And part of me felt so bad for him that we deprived him so much <laughs> on the mission field. I mean, I hope we didn't scar our son in any way. <laughs> but, um, but the point is this. My son Asher understood that he had been given a very, very special gift. And my question for us this morning is, do we? Do we understand that we've been given an incredible gift just to be here this morning? Just that we have air in our lungs and we're sitting here. No other reason than that, that we are alive, we're here, and God has given us life. And the, that main question, do our lives reflect that deep gratefulness to God? Does, does your life bear the mark of someone who's thankful for what you have? Not everything you want, because we all have the want list, but are you thankful right now, right here, just today, with what you have? And God has given each of us this incredible gift of life, and that is the foundation for understanding that we can give life out, is we have to receive the gift he's given us first. And some of us go around all day long complaining about what we don't have, complaining about why we don't have it, complaining about everybody else. And um, I don't believe God wants us to live a complaining life, but we all fall into it so easy and so quick. And, um, and I don't know about you, but, but I tend to gravitate towards people who bear the mark of joy and thankfulness in their life. Have you noticed that about people? Have you ever noticed those different people? There's not very many of them, unfortunately, in the world. But the ones that do, they just bear this like joy about them. And uh, I particularly remember this one lady, she came down from, uh, to Haiti and she was from the UK. And she came all by herself. She had filled out the app to come to Haiti. She had worked with us. She had gotten all her stuff in. And she, we made, usually people come in teams, but it was kind of an exception because she was coming from the other side of the world over there. We're like, okay, if you want to come to Haiti, why don't you come in and we'll, um, you know, host you here on the campus and you can serve the kids. And so um, anyway, her name was Mayoa. And I will never forget this lady. She actually lived in the corner house uh, in Haiti with us and in one of the other rooms, but she ate all our meals we ate at our table in our little place down there because she was just one person. So we kind of just pulled her into our family for the week. And this lady had so much joy in her life. She, every morning, she'd just be like, hi, Nick, how are you? And I'm like, I'm great, but I'm still kind of groggy, you know, and still kind of in that complaining state of the morning. And she would just be joyful and happy. And I thought, maybe she's just happy the first day because it's in Haiti. Let's see if day two or three things change a little because I know how Haiti can be, and it's hot, and there's mosquito bites, and you're tired, and you're not eating what you want, and it's just rice and beans, and then beans and rice, and then rice and beans, and then beans and rice, and have fun down there, Haiti team. <laughs> and um, you're going to find a lot of ways to make beans and rice creative. And um, anyway, I thought her joy would go away. And day two, hey, good morning, Nick. How are you? It's so good to see you. And I'm like, I'm good, Myola. Wow. And then all throughout the day, joyful with my children, joyful with the kids at the orphanage. And then day three and day four. And by day four, I started realizing that there's something different about this person. She has a mark of joy on her. 
And joy is rooted in thankfulness. When we are thankful for our lives, when we're grateful for what we have, we have joy. If we're not, if we're always seeing the glass half empty, then we're going to feel half empty inside and it's going to show. I mean, who you are shows. So if you're grateful, it's going to show. If you're not, it's going to show. It is what it is. We are just people. And um, I, I have a friend, he draws blood. He's a phlebotomist guy. And he says he's always intrigued by the um, older people that come in that are, like, that are 90 or above. And he says whenever he gets a 90 or above person that comes in to draw blood from or to, to check things, he says he always asks them while he's doing that, so what is the secret to live in your life? Like, you, you got to over 90 years old. That's incredible. Like, what's the secret to that? And um, he told me this a couple weeks ago. And he said that almost all of them, without fail, say, you know what? I've had to live my life by seeing the glass not half empty, but half full. And that, that kind of person will sustain all the storms of life because they're riding up here. It doesn't matter what's going on. We all have stuff. We all got junk. We all got family problems. We all, we all have stuff. But this person has chosen to live it up here, and they're seeing it above the clouds versus in the clouds. For some strange reason, they have this ability to get above it. And I've made it my own personal, honest quest. You can ask my children. Whenever we pray, I'm always like, God, fill our family with joy. Fill our family with joy. It's like my personal quest I've been on for, um, I think, ever since I met this lady, Myola, that came from the UK. Um, we touch base with her every now and then. But um, maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're in this place of, you're just, you wake up every morning and it's just sadness. I'm not happy. Like, I wish I had this, or I wish my life was different, or you're dealing with depression, or something that you don't feel like you control, like you can control. And I just want to say that um, start seeing, start being grateful for who you are right now, just who God has made you to be. Just start there. Like, thank you, God, that I have breath in my lungs, that I have a meal to eat today. Thank you, God. And start, start making a If you're really fighting for joy, make a list. Write them, force yourself to make a list of 10 things every day. What am I thankful for? I'm thankful for this, thankful for this. And, and you've got to fight for it sometimes because joy doesn't naturally just fall on all of us. Sometimes we've got to fight for it. But I can tell you that fighting for joy is an incredibly beautiful thing. And when you become a joy-filled person, like people just begin to like stop and look at you, and they see you as different. There's something different about joyful people. Take a look this week. Look for somebody. See if you can find a joyful person. They'll stand out to you. And then ask yourself, am I living like that? I mean, take a look this week. Look in the mirror. See. Most of the time, unfortunately, and like I said, I've been praying for it a lot in my life and in my kid's life because I don't think we're fully where we're supposed to be as a family or where I'm wanting to be as a as a, a, a child of God, I want to be filled with joy. I want to wake up in the morning and be filled with that joy. But the reality is li of life is different, and it's hard sometimes. And, and I get it. And if you're, if you're in that place of fighting for joy, then, then know that there, there's, um, there's people that can help. There's, there's people that want to step in and mentor you and help you get out of that. Um, because it's a dark place to be in, and um, I don't believe that God's created us to live in that spot. He's created us for joy, and, um, and like I said, the secret to joy is thankfulness. 
So just start, start dwelling on thankfulness every day. God, help me to find the things that I can be thankful for and to be content with what I have. And um, so once we become aware of this great gift of life that's been bestowed upon us by God himself, we then can begin to shift our lives to being able to be, live lives that are given and to live lives that are focused outward and to respond to God's love. So we receive the gift and then we give the gift. And so the, um, I want to go into this, this, uh, this secondary part called um, living the given life. And uh, I believe one of the slides, the next slide says, uh, I am called to live a given life for the sake of the kingdom of God. I am called to live a given life for the sake of the kingdom of God. The uh, text for this is Ephesians 4, 15, and 16 in our, in our text for today. And it says this, we are to grow up. Maybe I should just stop there. <laughs> There's a message. We are to grow up. Grow up, church. Come on. What's the problem? <laughs> grow up. Unfortunately, I've said that to my kids a few times, and I've, I've said it often with regret because when someone tells you to grow up, you look at them like... I don't know how to do that. How do I grow up? I, I can't force myself to suddenly start moving forward. Like, it, it's hard. You can't just grow up. But I, I love Paul's language. Again, remember, he's sitting in a prison cell. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So let's start with grow up. Um, that's the goal, that our lives look like Jesus. That's the question, does your life look like Jesus? That might be hard to tell or confusing, but the more you dwell on the scriptures and the more you dwell, especially in the gospels, looking at Jesus, looking at his life, looking at how he thought, how he taught, how he led his life, how he gave his life, you really start to wrap your brain around what it means to look like Jesus. And we're called to look like Jesus. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's the goal, that, our, that you and me, our lives would look like Jesus. And people might not call it that, but they might say, wow, that person's so joyful, like we were just talking about, or so thankful, or what, it is, what is it about that person? I can't put my finger on it, but they're just, they're different. There's something about them. And um, you and I know that it's because we have Jesus in our hearts that makes a difference. That's what causes our hearts to be able to receive, to be able to have thankfulness, to know that we've been given the gift of life because of the cross, that we don't have to dwell anymore in the darkness that we once lived in, in the sin that we once were a part of. We don't have to live there anymore because we've been set free by the cross. We don't have to stay there anymore. We're, we're growing up into him, and we know that's what made us different is the cross. And, and we, those of us who, who do call ourselves Christians, we we recognize that the cross is the symbol of our own greatness because we had nothing to do with it. When Jesus laid his own life on the cross, we were the incredible benefactors of life, and we got life out of his giving. And his, 
immense work on the cross where he gave his life out entirely as a son of God, as Jesus who came to earth like he didn't have to. Did you ever think about that? Like he willingly came to earth and gave himself on the cross because he knew he had received the most incredible gift from God. He's the son of God and he took his life and he gave it. And he is our greatest example of living the given life. Paul is an incredible example. There's incredible people in this world who are great examples. There's been missionaries I've read stories of where I'm just blown away. The guy on Hacksaw Ridge I was telling you about who saved 75 men. Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. He gave his life for men to live. Yet nothing could compare with the one man Jesus who gave his life for each of us that we would have life and so he says, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then he goes into this statement and he starts relating it to the body. And I love the body examples because if I just cut my hand off right now and threw it on the ground, would it work very well anymore? It wouldn't work at all because my brain couldn't talk to it and these muscles couldn't talk to it and these tendons couldn't talk to it anymore. It's just by itself. And solitary Christianity does not work. It will never work. We are called to be this right here, the body. And there's tons of them all over the world. There's more than you could ever imagine. And um, yet we have to operate in a body function. We have to operate as a church. And he says, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow. When each person is doing their part, the whole body does what? It grows up into him who is the head, into Christ. We become more and more and more like Jesus as a church when we each do our part. If you just have one guy standing up here talking to a church of people week in, week out, week in, and that's all the church looks like, even outside, it will die in the water. Like, it's not how church works. It, church is every, in our old church, we used to say, everyone gets to play. It was a little vineyard slogan that we used, but it was everyone gets to play. Like, what's your part? Everyone has a part to play. No part is more important than the other. Everyone gets to play. And that is what, is that's unity when everybody is doing their part. And one of my favorite parts about the body is, is, not, um, is not necessarily just doing it, doing that thing that God's gifted you to do or giving of yourself in that way. One of my favorite parts is to be the cheerleader for someone else who's doing what they're called to do, like this group in here who's going to Haiti. Like, I'm so excited. And there's, there's plenty of you in this room who are doing other things that um, I'm sure if I knew them, I would be as excited too. But um, are you a cheerleader in other people's lives? Are you a cheerleader in the church for the guy next to you? or the lady across the room, or when you hear of it, when you hear of something that they're doing for God, oh, that's amazing. Do you get like a jealousy feeling, like I wish I could do that? Or do you get a feeling of, that's awesome, I'm so happy for you. God wants us to have the, that's awesome, I'm so happy for you, if you didn't catch that part. <laughs> um, okay, and then the last part, as each part does its work. Again, we give out what we've been given. That's the focus of my message this morning, is we give out what we've been given. We do our part, as each part does, as each part does its work. What's your part? We all have a part. What's your part? 
I, um, I want to talk for a second about, uh, many, of you, many of you know us from our time on the mission field in Haiti, last three years, your church came down, it was great, you know, but the part before that, there was a year prior to us going to Haiti, which I don't, my wife and I shared back here in, in December, I think it was, about a few stories, and um, there was a season, though, before we went to Haiti, which I want to tell you a little bit about right now, because I believe it fits in well with this message of living the given life, and um, this year, prior to going, was year, four years ago, 2012-2013, and I want to tell you that, like I said, we went down for a week, and we went down for a month, and we felt God saying, Come. He wasn't saying go, he was saying come, which was interesting. <laughs> he was saying come, and we, every time I prayed, God, is this what you want for my family? Come. I just kept hearing the word come. Yes, come. Over and over again. Yet, there was this thing inside of me that couldn't agree to it. And I don't know what it was, and some of you might know what that is, and some of you might call it fear. But I was very scared as a father who had an all right job, I had, a, I had a, I was a youth program manager, I was associate pastor at this church, I was managing a big youth program of 1,300 kids in Fresno, reaching out into the inner cities there, and gangs, and homeless, and foster youth, and we were making a difference, and I was like administrating that program, and it was a good job, and God was saying, come to Haiti, and I have three small children at the time, like I said, they're not so small anymore. <laughs> But I had three small children, and to be completely honest, I was very scared. I was very scared that something was going to happen to one of my kids, and that I would never be able to live with myself after that, because I had done something as the leader of my family. I'd taken my family somewhere that caused pain or death to one of my own family. I was really scared. And so every time I prayed about it, God would say, come. And that fear would rise up in me. And I couldn't say, okay, God. I couldn't say, okay. I was hearing, come, Nick. But I couldn't say, okay. And that's what I want to talk about this morning as this, this story here. Because this all culminated for me before, um, it was about six months before we finally went. But it all culminated for me one day in that office, down at my work in Fresno as a youth program manager. I, was, I, I had a lunch hour. And all, the, all these feelings were rising up in me, and it was very fearful. And my wife was like, what are we doing? And we had even received donations already for um, people. Uh, one, we had received one large donation of people, some, a family of ours saying, we'll, we'll support you guys. Like, we'll get behind you in this. And still, like, my fear level was, like, up here, and I couldn't get myself to say okay. Because I, I would have gone by myself. I'm, I'm fine. I'll go, God. But when I was taking my kids, I don't know what it was. There was just, those of you that are parents, you know this struggle of safety for your children. And um, it all culminated one day I, I, in my lunch hour. And I shut the door to my office and I went over to my desk and I started eating my sandwich and I just couldn't do it anymore. I put the sandwich down on my desk. I pushed my chair back. I literally got down on my knees under my desk. I, was, I remember my head was under the desk. And I remember putting my hands out like this, and I just remember looking down at my hand because um, we're a family of five, my wife and I and our three children. And I remember looking down at my hand saying, God, I, it was so hard for me to say, but I said, I will go 
and I will take my family to Haiti if you would protect the five of us. Like, that was my deepest prayer. God, just protect us. Don't let anything happen to any of us. And I remember looking down at my hands. I mean, tears were coming down my eyes. I was crying out to God in my office there. And I remember God saying to me, Nick, not only will I protect your family of five, but I will multiply you. And I remember seeing both my hands in front of me and counting all ten fingers and, and then weeping some more. And then in hindsight, I look back on what God did in our lives because we gave our lives and we said, okay, God, we'll go. And we have this little girl, Chrysla, that we're adopting, and we, brought, we have her back here with us in Fresno right now. And we brought back Ludridge on a, um, on a, a student visa that she uh, is going to Fresno City College at now. And, um, and there was multiple other kids that we were pouring into. We house-parented the whole girl's house for um, two years. 28 girls, just um, the life that God multiplied in us was so great. And I remember um, thinking in hindsight back upon it, because I was just still fearful, but I was saying I'll go and trusting that God would multiply and do as he wanted. But I remember this principle that, um, as I thought back about it, this came to my mind, is this. When we give God our little, we give God our little, he turns it into much. That's what happens when we give the given life. When we give God the little we have, he turns it into, like, beyond your wildest dreams. Like, he will take your life and he will turn it into so much more. I, uh, I got an avocado here with me today, a little sermon illustration. Hopefully none of you saw me carry this knife into church. Or <laughs> my daughter, my other daughter at home, she was like, Dad, you're bringing a knife to church? I said, I know, they might kick me out before I get in the door. But uh, Justin, Raleigh, you guys might, Jake, you might want to tighten up security out there because nobody stopped me. So, you know, these are weird times we live in. <laughs> Anyway, got a knife. I want to ask all of you a question. Now, okay, first, what's this? Okay, in America, these avocados look like this, and this one was from Mexico. In Haiti, it's crazy. Those of you guys that are going down there, ask to see an avocado when you're down there. They are this big. And those of you that have been down there, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw an avocado down there, I was like, that's not an avocado. What is that thing? <laughs> it's like a, a small watermelon. And um, so I want to ask you guys the question, how many seeds are in this avocado? One. Anybody think two? Okay. I was hoping somebody would say, yeah. All right, let's take a look. My daughter asked me if she could eat it afterward. We love avocados. My wife said, make sure you don't cut yourself while you're opening an avocado on stage, Nick. <laughs> okay, let's see. How many seeds? One seed. Too bad there's not one on this side. Or I would have been able to fool you all. Okay, one seed in the avocado. Now I want to ask you another question. Can you guys all see that? How many avocados are in that seed? Thousand? Any other guesses? 
could be zero, right? If I never planted it. If I just went out of here and I threw it in the trash can, this would never turn into anything. Or if it gets planted, it could turn into one avocado. It could turn into five avocados. It could turn into a hundred avocados. Or maybe this could grow into a really amazing tree and put out thousands of avocados over the course of its life. It all depends on what? What I do with this seed. Right? It all depends on what you do with the seed. And I want to say to you guys this morning, as my illustration hopefully pointed out, is what are you doing with the seed that you've been given? What are you doing with the gifts you've been given, with the life you've been given, with the talent you've been given, with the resources you've been given, with the hands you've been given, with the feet you have, with the eyes, with the ears to listen to people, with a mouth to say encouraging things to people? What are you and I doing, and I'm speaking as much to myself as to all of us, is what are we doing with the seed that, that God has given to us? And it's all going to depend on what we do with it, right? What are we doing with what we've been given? And again, it goes back to when we give God our little, he turns it into so much. If you give God just a little, just a little, if you just have a little bit of faith, Jesus said, as much as the tiniest seed there was that they knew of at that time was the mustard seed, if you had just that much faith, God said it would turn into this huge, large plant that birds of the air would come and make their nest in just from a little seed. But you have to do something with that seed. You have to plant it in the ground or nothing will happen. The, 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 um, the parable he told of the, the talents and the one who'd been given ten and the one who'd been given five and the one, you know, the one who was the wicked servant at the end was the one who hid it and he didn't do anything with it. The one who had a little bit, he took it and he doubled it. He did something with it. And the one who had ten, he did something with it. He multiplied it. But we've all been given the gift of life. And God is asking us, I believe, this morning to, to give it out, to pour it out to others, to make it useful for the kingdom of God, and to, um, and to do something with it. And I believe that he will bless that, and I believe that he will turn the little you give him into so much if you just give it to him. It might only be a little bit of faith. It might only be that you feel like this gift you have isn't very good when you look around you and you start to compare yourself with others. You're like, ah, I don't know, uh, maybe it, that's not it. Well, that's not it either because I, I can do that, but that's not very good. And you start to compare yourself with everybody around you and suddenly you feel like your gift is nothing and you just walk away from it. You know what? The Bible says that we get roughly around 70 years, roughly, give or take. And that's, that's the amount of time we have on this earth. I just turned 39 this past year. 39, I'm sorry, not, not this past year, the, uh, last month. And um, on my birthday, I got up early, and I drove out to the country, and I decided to read Psalm 39, because I like the Psalms. And uh, listen to what this says in Psalm 39. I about fell out of the car when I started reading this. It says, in Psalm 39, and I'm feeling old on, on my birthday, right? I'm like, ah, oh, 39, what am I doing? It says, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. 
I mean, I'm, I'm halfway to 80 almost. I'm like, ah! And um, it says, you have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. He bustles about only in vain. He heaps up wealth and he doesn't even know who's going to get it. But now, oh Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Guys, it's short. I mean, my daughter right here, Anna, she was a little baby last time I blinked. And now she's 14, and I was giving her a driving lesson last week in, our, in a car. That we had. It goes by fast. And, um, and I, 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 just, I just feel like God has this message for you guys today as a church, is just take a look at yourself. Take a look at the gifts that you've been given. Take stock, like write out, like, God, what have you gifted me to do? What have you blessed me to do? How have you anointed my life? And go for it. What's the dreams he's put in your heart? Like, go for them. I'm so happy the group of 12 that is going to Haiti because this is something they were hoping in, something they thought would happen, and they put their effort for it. They put their little bit of hope in this little seed. They planted it, and now it's going to come forth, and they're going to be world travelers after this. So you never know what God's going to do as you begin to open up your life, and God's going to show you things like you would have never imagined. I want to close with this uh, one last story, and then I think Rolly's going to um, lead us in a few more songs. I want to close with this last story from, um, from Elijah. You guys remember him? So there's a story in 1 Kings that talks about how he was sitting in a brook area, and he was being fed by ravens because um, there was a great famine in the land, and there was a little brook running through, and he was to drink water from the brook, and the ravens fed him. And, um, and then because of the famine in the land, the brook dried up and there was no water. And God told him, get up, go to the city of Zarephath, and there you will find a widow. I want you to find her. And he goes to that city and he finds this, this widow and he sees this, this widow gathering sticks. And he says to her, hey, can you bring me some water? I'm really thirsty. There's a huge famine in the land and I just came from a dried up uh, river that's not even there anymore, and I've only been eating raven meat for the last uh, who knows how long. Can you please bring me a drink of water? And then he says, and also, can you bring me a piece, small piece of bread? And the lady looks up, she's gathering sticks, and she says, I'm gathering sticks to go home and make the last meal for my son and I, and then we're going to die, because I only have a little bit of flour left and a little bit of oil for our very last meal, and then we're, we're gonna die. That's all we have. We have nothing left but the little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and I'm finding these sticks on the ground to make a fire to bake a little piece of bread. And here's this guy, Elijah, asking her for a piece of bread. And what do you think she's gonna say? What do you think is going through her mind at this point? Why am I gonna give up what the little piece I have left for my son and I and give it to you. And yet something in her sparked. Something in her happened. And she, at the encouragement of Elijah, he said, the Lord will provide for you. And she went home and she baked Elijah a cake of bread. And she brought it to him. And he ate the piece of bread. And then what happened was her flour multiplied 
And the oil that was in her jar multiplied because Elijah had told her, if you give me this little piece of bread, then your stock will multiply. What you have will grow. And she did it out of incredible sacrifice, out of incredible sacrifice. She gave the little tiny bit she had, and God restored her life, and they had enough to live off of. And then sometime later, the son died, and Elijah went, and he took the son, he took him upstairs, and he prayed over him, and he brought the son back, and he brought him back to life. It's an incredible story. You should read it in 1 Kings. It's the story of the widow of Zarephath. And the son came back to life, and this lady, who was about to die, was about to lose everything she had, gained back her life, and gained back the life of her son, and gained back the kingdom of God. And she became, it doesn't say, but I believe she became a believer because there is no way that someone could go through that and not be blown away by the goodness of God that this man of God entered her house and now she had her food bins multiplied. And all that to say is that you and I are called to give the little that we have. Just give the little you have. That's all God's asking. Just give the little you have and watch him multiply it. And so today, just as I close, I just want to say, what is the little that God is asking of you today? What is the little that God is asking for you today? We all have a part to play, and we'll all be less as a body if just one of us is not fulfilling our God-given assignment. So let me pray, wrap this up, and um, I think the worship team's coming back up. Jesus, we are so thankful for the life you've given us, God. God, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the hope of the calling that we each have in you, that we've been freed from the bonds of darkness and we've been brought to be children of the light, God. Thank you so much, God, for, um, for the church you lead on this earth because it's so beautiful, God. And I pray that a deep joy would fill everyone in this room, God. I pray for the gift of joy. I pray for the gift of thankfulness to be brought out, God, more and more. And God, I pray that this would be a church that's known for being given, being given out, being poured out, sacrificing their lives, both for you and for those around them, God. So God, I pray that you would just um, seal this time by your spirit. And we thank you for all you're doing in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're going to take a minute and um, spend some time responding.